So we are taking time each week in worship to share in the corporate prayer of confession. And this is an ancient tradition of the church, and we have ancient shared words to lead us in this practice. And so each week we will hear these words sung, and I invite you to listen or to sing, whichever allows you to make these words your own prayer. And then I will close us in our time of prayer together. Almighty God, we confess our sin. What we have done, what we have left. We have not loved you with our whole heart We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves Have mercy Have mercy on us. Have mercy, have mercy. Most gracious God, we have lost our way. Like wandering sheep, we have gone astray. We're truly sorry and we turn back. Now for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy, have mercy on us. Have mercy, have mercy. Continue in prayer with me. So, Lord, this is our confession, and we do ask for your mercy. We ask not only for your mercy that covers over our sin, but also heals and transforms our sin. Many of us in this room come to you having felt fear this week and sadness as we hear of friends, family, or maybe even strangers that are suffering with the effects of a terrible and devastating tornado in Nashville. The upheaval and fear of the coronavirus that's spreading all across the world. 
And this too is our confession that we are human. We try to ignore that fact, but we can't. And it is scary to us. And so we ask both for those around the world who are trying desperately to keep healthy and for those in Nashville who are trying desperately to rebuild their lives and mourn the loss of those they've loved. We pray for these, our brothers and sisters, that you would provide comfort, healing, and even somehow joy that comes mysteriously in the presence of suffering through your presence alone. We also pray for the men and women who are called by your name in our own community and in these communities affected, that you would allow them to be agents of your healing and reconciliation, that you would make them strong and courageous to do your good work in the face of fear and devastation. And we pray that all of us, whether we are watching from afar or involved in a very personal way, we ask that you, holy God, would help our hearts bend toward humility, that we would recognize our humanity as not something to shun, but something that allows us to receive your grace all the more. We ask for this, and we anticipate the ways in which you will do immeasurably more than what we can even ask or imagine. And so we pray it all together in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Today I don't feel like doing anything. I just want to lay in my bed. Don't feel like picking up my phone. So leave a message at the tone. Because today I swear I'm not doing anything. I'm gonna kick my feet up and stare at the fan Turn the TV on, throw my hand in my pants Nobody's gonna tell me I can't Nah, I'll be lounging on the couch just chilling in my Snuggie Click to MTV so they can teach me how to Dougie Cause in my castle
set the tone Cause today I swear I'm not doing anything wanting to sing that song, weren't you? The, uh, the amazing part about Bruno Mars is he really is a true artist. And one of the things that we find in art is that it actually speaks to us in ways that uh, other things cannot. And in fact, what Bruno Mars does is he takes a sin, a sin that the early church said was one of the most deadly sins, a sin like sloth, and he makes it cartoonish seeming to be fun. In fact, he attaches other deadly sins to it, sins like lust and greed and envy and even gluttony. This is the gift that art is, much like the cross, what art does is it holds up a mirror before us and it says to us, hey, this is what we're like. And so we look at art, we look at the cross, and we confess the difference as God's people. That is what we do during the season of Lent, I want to invite you, my name's Chris, I get to be one of the pastors here, and one of the people who says, hey, let's bring art into the sanctuary. Uh, I want to invite you to the book of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 6, and we have some friends uh, who have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we want to invite you to receive a Bible, just hold up your hand, somebody will bring you a Bible right here, you can keep that as your own, right here in the middle. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and so I invite you to look at your Bibles or your tablets, your phone, whatever the case may be, to look at this text. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, starting with verse 6, and I want to I invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word for us this evening. So hear the word of the Lord from the Proverbs, starting with verse 6. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from the ways, their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. This is the word of God for the people of God. And let us say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So throughout tr- history, churches, the church has said that there are these seven deadly vices that really are the seed beds for sin. And the big seven, the big seven, are anger or wrath, sloth, envy, lust, gluttony, greed, and pride. And Gregory the Great said that these seven are the seven leaders of evil armies, and they really are the necessary first step to open the door for all, all the other evils. So we said this last week, but notice that these seven deadly sins are actually the ones that are the most ordinary. They're really quite trite, they're mundane, they're unspectacular, they're petty in nature. And there is probably no other sin that is more ordinary than sloth. Other sins are those sins that you have to actually commit. You have to do something. You have to think something. You have to decide on something. You have to act on something. But sloth, by its very nature, is about doing nothing. 
And shouldn't that, this is the question I have, shouldn't that actually be a virtue, not, not a sin, in a world with all-night Walmarts, in a world where I can purchase a motorcycle helmet or beef or lawn fertilizer or chairs or onesies on my phone anytime I want, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, in a world where I can get strawberries or grapefruit, or bananas out of season, in a world where Christmas decorations are on display in October, and people are telling me there's an urgency to go buy those right now, in a world with one day free delivery, and that's still not soon enough, in a world where mothers can't get five minutes in the bathroom by themselves, in a world of anxiety and urgency and rush and stress and cancer and heart disease and type 2 diabetes when the production of goods are actually at its heights, but when the man still has his boot on the throat of the worker, where there are no more hours left in the day, but there are still expectations, I ask myself, why is sloth even a sin? Maybe Hobby Lobby or Chick-fil-A or Hall's Pizza Kitchen, with their closed-on-Sunday strategies, have the right ideas. Is sloth the sin that we should be worrying about? Because in America, we cannot be accused of not doing work, not putting in the work. We're pragmatic. We're hard-working, independent kind of people. After all, early to bed, early to rise, it's what makes people healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? That's what we say. With our low wages and our cubicles and our hate that we have for our jobs and our loneliness and our long days, why would this be on the top seven list? I could understand how different things would be on the list. A Hollums could be on the list, especially workaholism. But you know that no war was ever started by the apathetic or the indifferent or the lazy, Only the focused, the purpose-driven, the single-minded, the ambitious folks are the ones that create those kinds of problems in the world. Shouldn't we be people who are actually slowing down? Shouldn't there be room for left for self-care? Isn't it actually time to unwind, to promote personal preference for a change? What's wrong with a nap? Wine by the, 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 on the patio. What's wrong with a leisurely day? What's, what's wrong? What's the matter with calling in sick to treat yourself? You know what I'm talking about. This is, this is uh, what the early church fathers, I look at it and I say, these are what the early church fathers were concerned about. Is, is the command, thou shall not sloth, even in the Bible? Well, maybe it is. Some of the ancient church leaders believed that what made the seven vices actually so deadly was that there was just a little bit of virtue in every single one. So you know in the Gospels, when we read them, we see that it wasn't those active sins, those sins of commission that Jesus concerned himself with as much as it was about the inactive ones. He seemed to yell at the productive and the religious. He seemed to yell at the independent people who were doing things in the wrong direction. They were not feeding the poor. They were not helping on the Sabbath. They were not lifting a finger to influence for good. And that is what seemed to be the most troubling for God. 
So I think we need to ask, what is sloth anyway? Sloth, or in Latin, acedia. It's what the early Egyptians, what the early Egyptian monks called the noonday demon. It occurred at the time of the day when the, the hot sun is high and one cannot even see one's shadow. In other words, it comes at that time of the day, right after lunch, you know this feeling, you're at work, you've just had lunch and you're in a sleepy haze. And you become indifferent to that to which you and I should be awakened. Sloth is the inability to, to engage in the true and the good and the virtuous. That, it's the inability to engage and to observe the, the God that is surrounding you. And sloth comes to us in a variety of ways. It, it looks like this, knowing the details of your bartender's life better than the details of your own children's life. It's not doing your best to strive for an A because settling for a B is just good enough. It's feeling no sense of urgency to take advantage of the doors that have been pushed open to you, pushed open for you by others. Sloth is drinking out of the milk container when you've just recovered from the flu. It's wasting time being a busybody instead of being busy with important things. It's downloading and then preaching other people's sermons. It's bringing another uh, another. It's, it's binging another show when, you know, it's getting late and there's a presentation to be done in the morning. It's the adolescent that forgoes schoolwork to get baked with a friend that uses his dad's medical card to buy pot. And then it's the parent who won't change the diapers of her children because her focus is on actually on getting the next hit. It's watching the end of a football game while being invited to the communion table. Nobody here has done that. It's a husband and wife whose marriage is trouble, avoiding the count, but they avoid the counselor's office. It's a student that sits in one of my college classes trying to hide their earphones under their hoodie. But it's also a tenured professor who mails it in until the day of retirement. It's letting the next guy clean up the spaghetti explosion in the microwave of the break room. It's ignoring uh, a prompting to say something when... I've offended someone, or when someone needs defending. It's never returning phone calls or writing thank you notes. It's checking the Twitter feed before bed once again, rather than participating in something that will bring healing to my soul. It's constantly whining, while at the same time I let others make the hard decision. It's the lazy song, it's indifference, it's, lethar- it's lethargy, it's apathy, it's spiritual amnesia, it's a lack of hope. Sloth is a sin of the soul and it's deadly. And my confession, I confessed to you last week, I will confess to you. Sloth silently and slowly works its way into my own life. I saw it in a million different places this week. Yesterday, I sent Pastor Mikhail an email, and it, it said, is it a sin that I am avoiding working on my sermon on sloth? <laughs> sloth is the evil that sits in our lives, and it waits. It doesn't have to pursue us. It doesn't have to whisper to us. It doesn't call out to us. Sometimes people think that sloth is just about being lazy, or procrastinating, which sometimes it is, but it's not so much about productivity as as it is as much about taking responsibility when it comes to things that matter. It's actually refusing the God-given means to make our lives interesting. 
And sloth can be about staying busy, but staying busy with the things that don't actually matter and shirking the responsibility to do the things that do matter. The philosopher uh, Cornelius Plantinga says this, for weeks at a time we go through the motions, never attending to God. We never focus on God. We never turn ourselves over to God. The thought that by such negligence we keep on... uh, We keep on wounding the only being who loves us with a perfect and expensive love. These thoughts become bearable and then they become routine. At least we put them away and and sink into functional godlessness. When we're in that state, God doesn't even seem real to us, so we don't pray. And the less we pray, the less real God seems to be. And the less real God seems to be, the duller our sense of responsibility becomes. And thus, the duller uh, our sense of ignoring God becomes. Sloth comes up on us when we're tired and we're alone. Now, we can see where sloth began. All of the deadly sins began, were first found in the Garden of Eden. Envy is there, so is gluttony, so is greed. And those are all the easy ones to see. But just like in our lives, sloth is not, not so much on the front page. It, it actually lurks there in the pages. And I like how my friend Dan Boone puts it in his book. He, he wrote a book called The Seven Deadly Sins. And this is what he says. He says, in Genesis, the feeding cycle of the garden is simple. It goes like this. Empty, full, empty, full. Humans all live their lives in cycles. Morning, evening, morning, evening. Sleep, work, sleep, work. And the connection between creature and creator is rhythmic. And yet what we see is in this early text that Adam and Eve... They wanted more. It was not enough for them. And so here, right here, you can see that several of the other deadly sins are actually sloth's kissing cousins. Its first kissing cousin is pride because a slothful person is an arrogant one. That was the very first problem with Adam and Eve. They thought grace was not enough for them. So they took what was not theirs to take. The other kissing cousin is actually lust. We want what we want, and we want it now. So like the first humans, we fashion our lives around the pursuit of empty things. We long for a pair of shoes, a vehicle, a woman in a short skirt. And for 90% of the population, images, clips, or videos on a computer or phone screen. Then Sloth's third cousin is anger. Because when all is said and done, the emptiness has set in, and like the early Eden dwellers... We're no longer safe. We stand there naked, and that's when resigned anger, which we talked about last week, sets in. That's the kind of anger that says, I just don't care about anything anymore. And that's sloth. Adam and Eve, their mistake and our mistake is this. They believe that if they could transcend their humanity. They would not be bound to the cycle of human living. They could escape the routine. They could somehow avoid the rhythms that God had set in motion. And so they ate. And then they were empty inside. And we, we eat. And we are empty. Endless hours of Xbox, television, sporting events, Netflix, Facebook, internet porn, Instagram, a diet or a fad, sexual conquest, drinking, drug use, shopping. Something happens when we replace God's regular rhythms of our lives with other stuff. 
what happened to Adam and Eve actually begins to happen to us. We're afraid. We're naked. We experience a paralyzation, an oppressive sorrow, a despair sets in. It's, it's an idleness, a sluggishness. It's a poisoning of the will. It's an inability to focus on what matters. And what happens is we become indifferent and despondent and hollow. Do you feel heavy and weighed down? Well, let's go, let's go fill the void with a snack. Oops, there's gluttony. Maybe it has a fourth kissing cousin. Sloth manifests itself into us. It, it does so in a way that we then experience an oppressive sorrow so heavy that the person who is buried in sloth cannot express any or exercise any kind of virtue or goodness. It is despair that leads us to a zombie-like stress. Uh, the Germans have a word for this. Uh, I'm not a German expert, but I... I understand it's pronounced uh, Weltschmerz, which literally means pained by the world. And sloth buys into the lie that, that nothing really could be done for the world. And so in the end, what happens is we, we retreat to our own personal and private pursuits. And we're told that's the dream, right? That's the American dream. It's to work, it's to earn, it's to save. And then it's to retire with a Volvo in the garage. Henry Farley says that, that that's the route to live life with no meaning. We waffle away our lives with no real purpose. And then in a sarcastic way, he says, who's up for tennis? At least in its courts, we will serve. And then we can ride our way together into paradise on a golf cart. I think that's what happened to the young man in Luke chapter 18. He approached Jesus asking for what it took to enter into the kingdom of God. He could write a check for whatever it was. He could make a deal. He had the political savvy to be able to do that. He could even obey a rule. But when Jesus told him to sell what he had to come and follow him, he walked away sad. He couldn't bring himself to step forward towards the God who moved towards him. He couldn't do what was actually good for him. The text says he walked away sad. But the great philosopher and theologian Thomas Aquinas says this. He says, behind the rather gray face of apathy or sloth lay a spiritual monster called despair. And another saint St. John Chrysostom said, it's not so much sin, but despair that casts us into hell. No wonder the writer of Ecclesiastes said that after chasing it all, after achieving it all, acquiring it all, doing whatever he wanted, he discovered that it was all just vanity. The Hebrew word is chabel. It means smoke. It means nothingness. It means vapor, hot air. It's all meaningless. Of dust you came, and to dust you will return. And sloth takes us on a journey down that road to nowhere, and death is at the end of that cul-de-sac. So what is, what is God's answer to combat sloth? What does God offer to God's people so that sloth doesn't catch them and lead them into this hell of despair? You might be surprised by this, but shockingly, it's actually more routine. Set the alarm. Turn off the phone. Go to sleep. Wake up. Take a shower. Brush your teeth. 
Deal with the hair that's growing in your ears. Make the bed. Get to work. File the report. Log into the class. Open the hood. Get the car fixed. Pay the taxes. Teach the children. See the judge. Grade the papers. Make the dinner. Prepare the sermon. If if the sins that are so deadly are actually ordinary, they show up in our ordinary lives, then the God who combats those sins, uh, the God that combats the sins that kill us, actually meet those sins with his grace in the ordinary. It's actually in the routine, the daily tasks, the things that we do every day. It's in the routine where God promises to be. Where he says, in those things, my grace will be enough for you. God enters into the space and stands right alongside us in that space. I think that's why the the writer of Lamentations, which can be one of the saddest books of the Old Testament and of the whole Bible, realizes something wonderful in the routine. He says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And they are new every morning. And then he gives praise. Great is your faithfulness. You know, hope is not found in what we do not have. It's found in what we do. And what we have is the God with us. The God who has been with us. Who is with us. The God who goes with us. The one that promises that he will never leave us. And he will be with us forever. The Alpha and Omega, God is the beginning and the end of our journey out of sloth. And my friend Dan says, on our path to an eternally exciting tomorrow, well, that comes through the routines of today. Our life with God is about the daily routine and meeting the divine in that routine. And sloth is buying into the lie that our lives are not actually that interesting when they are. A sloth is buying into the lie that, that our lives mean nothing when they do. Sloth is buying into the lie that no good can come from our routine when actually in our routine, well, that is like grace to us. God is there because God is part of the routine. And yet God does something really strange with our routine. He switches it up. Empty, full, empty, full, Morning, evening, morning, evening, sleep, work, sleep, work. The routine lasts for six days. And then there is this divine interruption. And that divine interruption is called Sabbath. And Sabbath is the day to stop the routine. And that is the virtue that we need. Several years ago, there was a woman that attended our church who casually decided that she liked God and that Jesus was good for her, but she really didn't need anything outside of that kind of personal spiritual connection. She said that uh, a group of friends that she found was providing everything that she needed in terms of interpersonal and spiritual needs, and the conversations which lingered and lasted as they had dinner and drinks on a regular basis. She had drinks with that group on on a regular basis, all of whom were exactly like her with no diversity. There was no call for sacrifice. There was really no virtue. She said that that community was enough and all she was looking for. And I watched as she moved from leadership to non-participation. And I watched as apathy became a roommate. And I watched as spiritual laziness became the thing that held her wine glass. And I watched as indifference fed her at his table. And I watched as sloth became 
the center fixture in the lazy boy of her life. And when I asked her about this, she said something that I thought was so interesting. She said, I'm burned out on church. I'm really need, I, I really need a Sabbath from coming to worship. And she completely misunderstood what Sabbath was all about. She believed that Sabbath was simply about taking a break. She thought that Sabbath was just rest from a routine. And she ended up giving away something virtuous and meaningful. And this is what the ancient church leaders meant when they said, when they said what makes each one of the seven, uh, seven vices so deadly, there's just a little bit of virtue in each one. Now we say that Sabbath is about rest when we probably should say that Sabbath is about rest oration as we live in a routine. Sloth and rest, that's not the same thing. Apathy is not the same thing as Sabbath. It, neither is indifference or being lazy. Sabbath is actually being, is, is actually God stopping the routine by God's command and with God's help. He does things that are life-giving. And he allows us to participate in those things that are enjoyable, fulfilling, and beneficial for all. And the reason that God says stop, stop the routine, is because after all, he knows that that routine means uh, that if we didn't do a stop, then sloth would move in. And God knows that sloth is actually a slow suicide. It's It's the sin of the sinner who refuses to be forgiven. They say, I don't need what God need for what God wants for me. It's being unaware that as you pursue other things, the good life is actually moving on without you. And then in the end, when you look up and you consider all that's happened, the opportunities and the friendships and the helpmates, well, they're all gone. And sloth is buying into the lie that nothing is helpful in the church's means of grace, the sacramental means of grace. It, it's saying that you don't need it anymore. And sloth is, is being suspicious that when Jesus says, rise, your sins are forgiven, that you think he's lying. No wonder the early church desert fathers warned against sloth. It was more than a warning. They actually called people to awareness. St. Paul said it this way, awake, sleeper. And let the light of Christ shine on you. And the theological word for that is resurrection. The gift of rhythm, the gift of work, the gift of the ordinary, the gift of this proverb and what we see in this poem. This is the good news that is offered to us today. It is a means of grace. And it's offered to you. And it's offered to me. So I'm going to invite Leah to come. I'm not sure where she, there she is. And just like last week, I have some questions for you to ponder. She's just going to play for a moment. And uh, I'm going to put some questions. I think the computer will work. I'm going to put some questions or I'm going to have Evan do it. And I just want you to take a moment in prayerful uh, consideration to think about these questions that are here. And to think about how sloth may have entered into the space and the routine of your life. So take a moment and look at these questions.